0: Well, if you're going to follow in your Bible, I'm going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'll give you a chance to get there. We're, we're ending our series today on our boy David. David, man, he's been just a hoot, hasn't he? Just to follow. We, we've had now two seasons of David. He, he has the, all these ups and downs. And, uh, I just want to, as we close him out, I just want to kind of just honestly look at him and say, like, I kind of get him. I get, I get this guy who has these strengths that, uh, you know, sometimes he leans on them too heavy and then they become weaknesses. He's a guy who knows how to keep his mouth shut when it's really easy for everybody to talk too much. But then he's also a guy who keeps his mouth shut too much when he should be telling his kids what to do. And instead they try to take over the kingdom. So like he's a, he's a dad. He's uh he's an imperfect dad. He's a great King. Um, he's a guy who, when he's focused on God, his laser focus is like nobody in this room has more of a focus on God than David did when he has laser focus on God. And when he forgets about God, oh my gosh, it's like it's like it's just on the other side of the world. He can't think about anything uh, regarding God and just does whatever he wants. And so when I look at David, he's either um, a little bipolary. I don't think that he is. I think really uh, he's just a normal guy. I think that he's a normal guy that goes through these valleys. And he left the high points of the uh, of the of his journey, the high points on the mountain in the story, but and he left the valleys and the low parts where things just didn't make sense and he was just making a mess of all kinds of stuff and he left that there. And for those of us who walk around in the real world where today, right now, some of you are on the peak, like you have not had a better day than you've had today, praise God, you're awesome. Uh, And you're like, I need somebody to look at. David's a good guy to look at. Some of you in here, you came crawling, kicking and screaming against your will. You're in the lowest part you've ever been in. I'm so glad that you made it in here. Uh, David's also a guy worth looking at because at the end of his story, uh, he's a guy who God loved, and he loved God. Um, at the end of his story, he's remembered for all of his uh, all of his redemption, uh, not so much all of the things that he did. So we'll we'll finish David today. Uh, I'm going to kind of begin in the middle, uh, but let me let me ask you a question. Can you think back uh, to uh, maybe one or two of the highest uh, spiritual moments, like you were closer to God than you've ever been moments in your life? Uh, it, it's going to be a moment that was after some. Big event, maybe at the, at the end of a uh, a really hard season. As you came out of that, that might be your moment. Um, I know for a lot of people, uh, it's going to be like going to youth camp. Did anybody go to a camp as a teenager? Anybody? Like you, church camp? Yes. Oh man, golly, church camp is is the greatest because you got a bunch of knuckleheads. They like they're looking for the next boyfriend. They're looking for the next girlfriend. They're just going. You know, they're like my parents paid for this, and I get to swim on the blob and all kind of stuff. And then when they get through with camp, like something happens in four or five days. It's super magical and spiritual, uh, at the end of these four or five days, you have like some warriors that they will do anything for the Lord. Uh, I remember being a teenager and even taking teenagers to camp that like the day we get back from camp, there's like a big bonfire uh, at someone's house because we've got stuff we've got to burn. Like we've got to get Metallica out of our life. We've got posters on the wall. They got to get out of here. We've got to do stuff because God is big and he's real. And this is a moment they have that camp high and they do a thing, right? And then you think in those moments, and maybe, maybe you're thinking of camp, maybe you're thinking of another moment. You think in those moments that, like, I am as, as, as sold out for God as I will ever be for the rest of my life. I will never take one step backwards. And then, like, a week later, you're, you know, listening to Nirvana or something. Like, like. there's nothing, actually, I really like Metallica Nirvana. Uh, uh those were just the CDs we were burning when we were kids. Uh, there's something, there's something, sweet and precious about those those spiritual high moments where you're on the top right um and then there's something real about like you stumble a couple of times now you're off the top and, and inevitably uh people will look at those two uh separations and they think man i've let god down The number of teenagers that I'll talk to like a month after camp is like, I I really wanted to live for the Lord. It's just hard. I don't know how to do it. And it's like, yeah, I get it because the real world is the real world. You know, It's, it's not like you have, you have people, you know, food deprivation at camp and like six moments of worship throughout the day. Yeah. Because when you get to the real world, you have to, you have to own some things. When you get to the real world, you have to look in the mirror and you have to see yourself and you bring some of yourself to it. And here, here's, here's why I bring it up. What we're going to do today as we land the plane on David is I want to look at his camp high moment, his spiritual high. Like things have never been better than this moment. And in that moment, there were some promises that he was trying to make to God and God kind of laughs at him. Uh, and then, and then God makes promises to him. And then he just fumbles the ball over and over again. But at the end, uh, God sees his promises through because here, here's the truth. Um, if you, uh, if you are in Christ, that is, you're a Christian, you are a believer in Jesus, listen, there's nothing you can do to jack God's plan up. Well, I mean, there, even if you weren't in Christ, there's nothing you can do to jack God's plan up. But you will not let God down enough to the point where he's like, I'm done with you. Just, you're a mess. You are a hot mess. I can't believe that. that, that if David uh, can see that God's promises are fulfilled at the end, uh, then maybe you could stop beating yourself up for a couple of days. And maybe you could just like tell God, honestly, like I messed up and I'm sorry. Instead of you looking in the mirror and said, you let God down and you're not worth anything. Uh, those are two very different responses. So let's look at David. Um, I want to rewind with David's life because uh, he doesn't die in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, not to spoil that. But there's a key moment that we skipped over uh, as we were going through the life of David uh, that, that it's like this moment where, where things have never been better for him as far as his relationship is with God. This is before Bathsheba. This is before Absalom tries to take the kingdom. If you're here the last few weeks, those names make sense. Uh, this is after Goliath. This this is after uh, you know uh, him him running in the wilderness. This is after the civil war. Immediately after the civil war, when he comes into power, when David takes the throne, uh remember he brings the Ark of God back into town, right? And some dude dies for touching it. Uh, right after that, like the, the whole the whole community is as on fire for God as they've ever been because David has led them. David has put God back in the spotlight. And in this in this moment, before Bathsheba, before things go hairy, he's just like he has this great idea. Anybody heard a great idea for God, and then it turns out like God said no, no, maybe okay. We'll see how it works out with David. None of you talk to God. I don't. I don't know. That's not true. That was so salty. I didn't mean that. Uh, Chapter seven, uh, verse one. It says, "Now when the king lived in his house, where's he living?" He's in his house. It's going to be very important here in a second. He's living in his house. He's, He's made it. The civil war is over. The Ark of God is in town. And David built his house. He's living in his house. And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. It's just been good. Like, there's not been a lot of fighting. He hadn't had to kill any Philistines in a couple of weeks. It's really good. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, Hey, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of God dwells in a tent. Verse 3, and Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David is sitting in his house, and he's thinking, man, here I am in this house. And God's box is just like in a tent out there man, maybe somebody should build a house for that. And so he calls Nathan and he says, Nathan, the prophet, he's like, Nathan, I've got this great idea. I wanna build God a house. Nathan goes, that sounds awesome. You go do whatever's on your heart. That sounds like a great idea. Nobody, Nathan included, decided to ask God if he wanted a house, right? It's just like, it just popped in David's head. God should have a house right now. I have a great house. Maybe God wants a house. Nathan says, go do it. I think, I think that God really wants that because it seems like a good idea. It turns out though, God didn't really want a house. Here's, here's what it says in verse four. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house since the day I brought you up, uh, brought up the people out of Israel from Egypt to this day, and I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling, et cetera, et cetera. He, he keeps going. Uh, the, basically, basically, God laughs at the idea of having a house. It's like, who said I wanted a house? Have I, did I have a house when I brought the people out of Egypt? No. Did I tell any of the judges that I wanted a house? No. Did I tell any of the prophets? Did I tell Saul that I wanted a house? No. And he's just like, why do you think I want a house? It's so cute. You're going to do something good for me. That, that's, that's what it is. And so he kind of laughs at the idea that, you know, God didn't really want the house. And when I say a house, I'm talking about the temple. I'm talking about the temple that will eventually be built for God. But if you skip down to verse 11, at the, at the end of like his laughing, I almost hear God chuckling. At Nathan, as he he says this. But he says in response, he says uh, in verse 11, uh, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you you that the Lord will make you a house. David, in his spiritual high moment, just got finished with camp, just got finished with the ark, just got finished with all kind of junky stuff. He's living in his house. Life is good. He's like, I'm going to build God a house. And God laughs at him. He's like, No, (laughs) you're not going to build me a house. I never said I wanted a house, but i tell you what, I'll build you a house. I'm going to build you a house instead. He keeps going. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. It's not you. Your kid's going to build me a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What I'm going to do for your son is I'm going to make his throne last for absolutely ever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. And all the parents are like, praise God. Yes, that's good. With the stripes of the sons of men, and my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Uh, you may want to underline that phrase if you have your paper Bible. My steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. David just wakes up one day. He's in his house. This is a great house. I love this house, man. God gave me a house. I need to do something good for God. God, I'm going to build you a house. (laughs) I never wanted a house. God says, I never, I never wanted a house, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to, I'm going to make your family great, David. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to your son, your son. You're going to die one day, and I'm going to be a father to your son. And when he, when he walks away from me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna chastise him. I'm gonna bring him back. I'm gonna discipline him like a dad does. And I'm never going to depart from him for the rest of his days. I'm never going to leave him. And David, here's what I'm gonna do. Not only am I gonna build you a house, not only am I gonna make sure that your family's taken care of, I'm gonna make sure you, this kingdom that your son is going to rule over will last forever. Now this is, this has gotta be mind blowing. Um, sometimes in our lives, we have really great ideas for God. Uh, and then we run with them, and we waste a lot of energy running for things for God when we didn't go to God and be like, "Hey, do you want this thing? Do you, do you want me to move my family to this side of town because the job is you know twenty percent higher money? Do you do you want me to have this conversation with this person? Because really, you know, this I feel like I should do this for you." Um, here, here's here's the thing about the Christian faith is that we believe that God is alive; that He's not just like you know a figment of our imagination, as you might uh, uh, believe. And, and because of that, he actually has like desires. He has things that like sometimes, sometimes he may say no to good ideas. This is also in the New Testament. Paul, he's like in, in the New Testament, Paul is going around. He's, he's, he's planting churches all over the world, right? He, he's traveling and he decides he has this great idea. Nobody's put a church in Asia yet. I'm going to go to Asia. I'm, everybody, hey, everybody, you, you are my missionary team. We're all going to go to Asia. And you guys are like, yeah. We're going to Asia. Nobody's ever put a church there. That night, Paul has a dream. God says, I don't want you to go to Asia. No, <laughs> that's for somebody else. I have something else for you. And God told Paul no to a good thing. You now we, we need to be careful as followers of the one true God that we don't settle for just the good things. That we understand that what God has for us is better than that. If 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 David ignored God and he built him a house, then he's robbing his son the opportunity because that's better. Solomon building the temple is much better than than David building the temple. But let's keep going because David like responds to God after after God tells him no in verse eighteen. It says then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, "Who am I, O Lord God? Who who am I?" That is a, a, a visceral response to being face-to-face with God. Like, who, who am I that you would make these promises to me? Who, who am I that you would say such kind? Who am I that you would save me? Who, who am I that you would rescue me from my troubles? Who am I that you would bless me at all? I don't, I don't deserve any of this. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes. It's huge to me, but this is so small to you, O Lord God. He says, you have spoken also to your to of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind. The, the Hebrew word for instruction right there is Torah. And the idea is uh of a Torah, of an instruction like that. It's something that like people should meditate on. It's, it's not just like, hey, I want you to wash the clothes and then fold them. No, you don't meditate on that. Uh, husbands do. We, we think about that you know, all day. You say, and three hours later, I haven't put the clothes in the dryer yet. I've been, I've been Torah. I've been meditating on that instruction. Uh, what David says here is, I realize what you're telling me, that my son is going to be a blessing to all mankind. This is a Torah. This is an instruction that like, people should know about. People should meditate on it. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. There's no God like you, God. This is, this is a super sweet, powerful moment for David. This is Torah. This is instruction for all mankind. I'm never going to let this depart from me. You, you God, are worth following. I can't believe how good you are. That's chapter seven. Um, just about four chapters later, though, David's twilling his thumbs on his on his roof, and he sees Bathsheba, and then you know some things happen, and he murders a fool. Like he 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 drops off on the deep end of this. And so for David, it, it could be uh, easy, I would think, for him to look, God made this promise, but I really let him down by murdering a man and stealing his wife. Uh, I, I, I feel like, I feel like I've, I've let God down. If you fast forward to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is right after the Bathsheba moment. Uh, verse 24, um, the dust is settling on Bathsheba. Uh, and Uriah, um, uh, they've, they've, uh, Bathsheba's lost, uh, a son. And then verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called him Jedidiah because of the Lord. I didn't realize this until I was studying for this, that Solomon had a nickname that God gave him, and his nickname was Jedidiah. So when you get to heaven and you're like, oh, King Solomon, I'm sorry, Jed, my boy, how are you? How are things? You know his nickname, right? Uh, after, after Bathsheba, after the dust settles on all the, you know, the the judgment, after he deals with that, um, there's this like hint, this remembrance of God's promise that He made back then. Solomon comes up. Uh, Nathan, uh, the prophet, comes and tells David, "Hey, this is Solomon. He's got a nickname. God gave him a nickname. It's Jedediah." Oh, well, I thought we were going to call him Solomon, but we'll call him both, I guess. Uh, this is the this is the kid of promise. This is the kid who's gonna, the throne is gonna last forever. This is, this is the one who's going to see it. And again, David has to have a moment of, are you kidding? Like, I've, I really, I've let God down, haven't I? We, we go through these spiritual ups and downs in, in our life. I, I I'm sure it's true of ever. I think it's a universal truth. Um, and in, in the downs, we may remember moments where God did a thing, uh, but we think that we've disqualified ourselves. We think that, that we've somehow like disrupted God's plan to the moment that he can't like see it all the way through. I've killed David, I, I'm not confessing myself murdering. David murdered a man after God has promised this thing. Surely, like it has to cross his mind. Like, did I just undo that entire promise for my family, for my nation? Did I undo what God did? And then and then Solomon comes in this, this word from the prophet. Comes, no, this is Jedediah. This is, I love this kid. I'm gonna be a father to this kid. David, one day you're going to die, and Solomon's dad will be dead, and I, God, will be his father, and he'll be like a son to me, and I will will discipline him, I I will raise him up. And so... After that, though, we have other like high, uh, terrible moments. We have uh, Absalom. We have another civil war. Uh, there's a ton of fighting. There's years of David running. There's Absalom doing terrible, ungodly things in the city square. Um, there's After he gets back in power, after David gets his throne back, he has to fight some more people. There's a lot of battling. At one point, he gets really arrogant, and he's like, I'm a pretty good king. I should count the number of people I'm the king over. Go and count the people. Now, we live in, you know, the modern world. You need to count the people. You just go read the street signs, the city signs. It says the population is such and such. You've counted the people, right? David has to send men and like pay them to go. And in his arrogance is like all over the nation. It takes like six months for them to count everybody. They come back and they tell David how many people he's got. He's like, I'm a pretty great king. And God's like, dude. I gave you that whole kingdom. And and so David has to answer for his sin of pride and arrogance. Then there's another coup. Another one of his sons tries to take the throne. That's a whole other story. David is now on his deathbed. He's approaching seventy. I think he dies from around age seventy. Um and and as he's on his deathbed, one of his other sons, Absalom's younger brother, is like, hey. I'm going to take the throne just like my brother did, uh, and starts declaring it. Nathan and Bathsheba say, Hey, didn't you, isn't Solomon supposed to be the next king? So they go and tell David at the end of, uh, second Samuel at the beginning of first kings. Hey, isn't this going to be that? Uh, David's general leaves him and joins the other son. So his whole kingdom is falling apart as he's dying. And it says in 1 uh, Kings, it says that David gets all of the people together and he says, I'm, I'm going to make Solomon king today. I'm going to tell everybody he's the king and he's the rightful king and here's what I want for him. And what I want to do today is instead of just going to 1 Kings and looking at that, I want to look at a speech that he gives. So if you can, turn way to the right to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It's like, it's like four books later. 1 Chronicles Chapter twenty-eight. David is very sick. Uh, he's not going to live much more. Maybe a week after the speech, he's going to instate Solomon as king. And now he has all of the lords. He has all of the like the people, the people of power, the mayor of whatever city. They're all in town, and he's going to tell them this is this is what I want for Solomon. This is what God has for him. It says in verse one, it says, uh, David assembled at Jerusalem, all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that serve the King, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the King and his sons together with the palace officials, the mighty men and all the seasoned warriors. He got everybody Whoever didn't go to his son, Adinijah, the other guy who's throwing a coup is now standing before the King. Verse 2, then King David rose to his feet, and he's, he's feeble at this point. He's been in a bed uh, for for months at this point. He rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people. I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for buildings. Like, I plan to build God a house 15 20 years ago, and I've made plans to build this house. Verse three, but God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you a man, you are a man of war and have shed blood. He said, He said, When Nathan came to me and told me I'm not allowed to build a house, he said the reason that I'm not allowed to build the house is because I, I I go to war a lot. I like to fight, uh, and I, I've also shed blood. I'm a, I'm a murderer. I can't build God's house because I'm a murderer. But I'm gonna make some preparations for it. Verse 4. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For David, uh he he makes I think it's a very mature and astute uh observation at this point. And we'd be good to, to do this as well. I am a a murderer. Uh, I go to war, and God has told me no, yet God chose me to be king. You know, um we, we would be wise and we would be more confident in our lives if we would just declare what God has chosen for you, like, regardless of your qualifications. Um, I remember holding, uh, my oldest son for the first time and I'm looking at him and like he, he smells funny and, uh, he's making weird noises and I'm supposed to raise this kid. Who am I to raise this kid? Like I am, I am a knucklehead. I am still a kid myself. I don't know what I'm doing. He's going to come to me for advice and I'm going to be like, I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm doing either. And and there's this moment. Uh, I think I think every parent has to get to this moment where like God chose me to be His dad. It's not about what qualifications I have. God chose me to be His dad. You go into a business environment, uh, and, and for whatever reason, you're having a lead on a project, or you're the supervisor, or whatever, and you have to tell people who are older than you what needs to happen next. You have to tell people, these are the three steps, that, these are this is our mission, this is how we're going to accomplish it, and then all the, the heart starts fluttering, like, who am I to tell this guy who's 10 years older than me, who's been doing this job 10 years more than me, that these are the things that I'm supposed to do, except if you just pause and look in the mirror and just realize, God called me to this moment right here, right now, David, he's looking at his past. and He's like, I've made a mess of things. There's Bathsheba, there's uh, some murdering, there's some stuff I've done, but God chose me to be king. He says, for he chose Judah as leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel and of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. You know, David had a little thing with women, so he has tons of sons everywhere. Uh, he's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord uh, over Israel. Could could you imagine being Solomon in that moment? Solomon's probably just under 20 years old at this point. So we'll say 18 years old. And he's standing next to dad. He's all feeble. Dad stands up and he gives this speech and he says, I got a ton of kids, but God chose this one. God chose me to be king and I kinged over you guys. I made us some bad choices, some good choices, sure. But God chose me to be king and I kinged. Now God's choosing my son Solomon to be king. That's gotta be kind of like a a, a moment of, wow, dad's like really bringing the thunder for me. That's good. It is Solomon your your son who shall build my house for my courts for I've chosen him to be my son. He's like, and God said he's gonna be his dad. It's crazy. And I'll be his father and I'll establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. See, uh, here's what David's doing, right? Uh, David is passing the baton to Solomon. He's making sure the kingdom is taken care of. He's making sure his son Solomon hears a good word from his dad. That's something super powerful. Every every kid wants to hear dad say, hey, I'm proud of you, son. Uh, he looks at Solomon. He's like, proud of you. God chose you. You're going to be the next king. He's doing that awesome. Here's what he gets wrong, though. And, and sometimes we add things to God. Uh, he added a conditional promise. He says, I will establish this kingdom forever. God said, I will establish this kingdom forever. Did he say that? Yes, he did. Um if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules. When we read that in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, did God say that? No, he didn't. What God said was, I will never leave him. I will chastise him, I will discipline him, but I will never leave him the way that I left Saul. God's promise was not conditional, and yet when David repeats it, he adds the condition. Because David's theology isn't completely accurate at this point. David still believes in a God who, you know, He'll make a promise, but if you don't hold up your end, he tends to to break it. Now, therefore, uh, verse 8, In the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children and forever. He tells all the leaders in the land, like, hey, you guys got to focus on God. I'm on my way out. Solomon's going to be the next king, but you've got to focus on God uh, and follow his ways. Then he turns to a son, verse 9, and you, Solomon, my son, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. There's again, like he got, he gets half of it, right? If you seek him, you'll find him. And he's like, but if you hide from him, uh, he won't. Let me let me tell you, uh, I'm not going to do a whole series on Solomon starting next week. It's not in the plans. Uh, but if I were, uh, what you would hear is a guy who, uh, like his dad, follows God for a long season and then he falls in love with women. Except his dad fell in love with maybe like 50 women. Uh, Solomon falls in love with over a thousand women. Like, it is documented in Scripture. He has uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines or vice versa, I can't remember. He just had, like, he can't, he can't get enough women. And, and all of these women have different gods, and eventually he, he does leave God. He leads the entire nation away from God for like a long period of time. If David's words were right right here, what should happen is that God removes his promise from Solomon, but that's not what we see in Solomon's life. When we get to the end of Solomon's life, we see that God keeps his promise to Solomon, and, and Solomon has a restored relationship with God. But in verse 10, David says, be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. He's saying, he's saying son, this is going to take some work. Um, and you can't, you can't just like, you know, snap your fingers and this gets done. You have to be strong and do what God wants. You know, David, David uh, he should talk, huh? Who, who is David that he gets to tell another man, uh, his son in this case, hey, you need to be really careful to follow God's ways. David's made a mess of things, right? Uh, does does that disqualify David from having these, these comments, having this talk with his son, or do you think that it maybe like helps him have this talk, like he really knows what he's talking about? You know, when when I uh, talk to, to parents, especially as a student pastor, I'll, I'll talk to parents, and parents will will tend to uh, they'll they'll discount their own advice because they'll say things like, "Man." when I was in 12th grade, like the stuff I did, like I, who am I, who am I to tell my kid that he shouldn't do that thing? And the response is, you're the perfect person to tell that kid you shouldn't do that thing, right? Uh, for one, you're his dad uh, and you should have that conversation with him just by that one merit alone. But for number two, not only did you do that thing, uh, but you also know the consequences of that thing and you know how that thing had, had a lasting negative impact on your life and you would be protecting him from having that. Uh, parents, we, we need to be careful not to whitewash our walk with God and just like pretend it's been perfect all this time as we're talking to our children. Our children would benefit from us telling them like, listen, son, daughter, listen, I, um, I did this part right. Um, but there's like this five year span where like, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it just, I was, I was, I was lost. I was, I was hurt. I made a lot of decisions I didn't like. And as a result of these decisions, as a result of these actions, A, B, and C happened. Uh, David, unfortunately has it all recorded (laughs) like a newspaper, his son, Solomon at 20 years old, like, Oh, I wonder what kind of stuff dad was up to. And he's just like, Oh no, I don't want to read that yet. Uh, it's, it's gotta be a little bit easier for him. But the truth is, is that David is looking at him and he's like, Hey, be careful, be careful you 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 follow the lord do the thing that god has chosen you to do it's going to take work and it's going to be it's going to be something but do that and then in verse 11 he he goes into the plans he it's not just build a house of your own design david's like okay there's got to be some some of this and some of that some of this and he he outlines the whole plan but if we fast forward down to verse 20 he repeats that to him he says then david said to solomon his son be strong and courageous and and do it do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. What he tells Solomon, you're going to get this done, man. You're going to do the thing I never was able to do. You're going to build a house. And you may think it's easy. You may think like being a king is easy. His first kingy thing, Solomon's first kingy thing is that he's going to build God a house. In fact, when we read that, if you, if you want to go read that on your own in 1 Kings, uh, it takes Solomon seven years to build God's house. It takes him seven years to get this job done. At the end of the seven years, he looks around, he's like, oh, it's time for me to build my own house. Solomon postpones building his own house so that God can have a temple and he can fulfill this thing that God has called him to do. So David is, is giving the speech. He's t- talked to a son. He's talked to all the people. And then he turns to the people and he says at the end in, in uh, chapter 29, he says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, don't you take this throne from him, God chose him, uh, is young and inexperienced. Oh, thanks, dad. Appreciate that. He's just a kid. And the work is great for the palace will not be for man before the Lord God. He says, he says he's got a hard job. He's going to be king, and nobody take that from him, but he's young and inexperienced. I want you guys to look out for him. I want you guys to help him. I want you guys to take care of him. And here's what he says. He says, "So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron. I think I think we're getting the picture here. And wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities, he's like, I got all the wood and the, all the like the, the items, and then I just start throwing money at it. Great quantities of onyx and stones and setting uh, and." antinomy. Somebody's going to have to tell me what that word means. Colored stones and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of God. And then he outlines like how much he gave. Here's David. David's like, we got to build this house. This is next on God's plan. I know that this is next. I'm not allowed to do it. And you know what he doesn't do? David doesn't just sit on his tush and wait for himself to die. David knows what's coming next, and he starts saving up money for it. He starts putting towards it all the wood, all the gold he can muster, all the silver, all the, all the iron, all the bronze. He's, he's collecting it for this moment forward. He, he's telling the people, I'm taking out of my own personal bank reserves um, this inheritance that should go to all my children. I'm just taking it all out and I'm putting it towards the temple. Would you guys be willing to put your money where your mouth is? Would you guys be willing to step up and do something? It says in uh, verse five, it says, then the leaders... Of fathers' uh, houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands, and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Well, after David um, tells the people who's going to be king, David looks at the next king and says, "Son, you're going to be the next king, and you've got to do this, and you've got to work hard at it. I'm telling you, son, it's going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done. Don't think it's easy, but follow God; He's got you." And he turns to the people and says, "My son, is going to need your help." And if we're going to accomplish this thing, this thing that's bigger than any one of us, this thing that God is calling us to do, it's going to take all of our influence. It's going to take all of our involvement. It's going to take all of our resources. And here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to give this much of my stuff towards this plan of God. And let me ask you this question. How much of you are you willing to give to it? It's fascinating uh, how David sees this because David, David dies soon. Nobody would have faulted David and be like, son, I want you to give this much of the money that you get. He he doesn't let it get that far. David chooses, I have the power to do something about it now, and I'm going to leave something for the next generation. Uh, Everybody in this room goes to Carpenter's Way Church. That's true, uh, at least today. Uh, You're in here today. This building was not built by Carpenter's Way. This building was built by another church that met here. And one day uh, they contacted Carpenter's Way and they said, listen, we know that you're meeting in a school. We know that you're mobile. We would like to give you this building and this property. And we want you to continue to serve God in this location. Will you do that? And after I think what was a very short amount of prayer by the elders, because like who gives you that much stuff? Uh, but they prayed about it. They thought about it. They talked about it. And we moved into this building. You, listen, you are worshiping God in a building because another group of God followers left a heritage and a legacy that we get to be in this, in this building. David left a legacy by inspiring people to give towards a thing that was bigger than them. And we are called as followers of God to not be just thinking about today and tomorrow. What do we need tomorrow? What kind of, what kind of children's program do we need next week? Yeah, those things are true. But what are we gonna leave to the next generation? What are, what are we, Carpenter's Way, the people in this room, what are we gonna give to the next group of people that are following God? How, how are we gonna prepare ourselves for that? Or are we willing to give towards that? David inspires the people, and uh, they do that. Quickly, I'm going to read the obituary, the eulogy, excuse me, of David. At the end of 1 Chronicles uh, 29, verse 26. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days riches, and honor. That's a pretty good line right there. Somebody needs to put that in my eulogy, even if it's not true. Uh, and Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David from first to last, <laughs> the good parts and the bad parts, are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer and the chronicles of Nathan the prophet and the chronicles of Gad the seer. These are books that we now call First and Second Samuel. Uh, with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him, and upon Israel, and upon all the kingdoms of the countries, period, the end. David's dead, and they just had his funeral. Of all the good that David did, and all the bad that David did, all it says is that of the circumstances that came upon him. David is remembered as being um, a man after God's own heart, He's a man that as we look closely at him had ups and downs, but the sum total when we look at him as a whole is like, he's the greatest king Israel ever had. He's in the lineage of Jesus. In fact, if you go and look in the book of Matthew at the lineage of Jesus, it says that Solomon was born to David from the wife of Uriah. So even in the lineage of Jesus, it like hints about a murder uh, sequence that happened. That's that's bizarre. But even still, the David is not in the end... Um, Put on these scales. If you put that last slide up, he's not put on these scales where his good works are subtracted by his bad works. And then we have some kind of like math that's done on him. His story is complex, uh, with chapters worth copying and chapters that we should look at as warnings. And the same is, is, is true of, of you. Uh, your, your life is not going to be put on some scales where you're good and you're bad, just somehow kind of make up some math. Because David, uh, he was known primarily for his relationship with his God. And that's the only thing that made the news here. Um, one day, we're going to answer and we're going to, we're going to die and people are going to talk about us and whatever stories they've got, they've, they've got. But as far as your relationship with God goes, it's not going to be on these scales. It's going to be, did you have a relationship with God? Do you know Christ Jesus as Lord? The promise of uh day the promise given to david that this kingdom would last forever solomon sees the kingdom split in half and then you know the kingdom goes into exile and all these things and it would be easy to be like god didn't see his promise through but then when we get to the new testament jesus is the fulfillment jesus is the king of promise jesus is the hope uh that that when we put our hope in him we have a right relationship with our God. Don't make the mistake of thinking that somehow your mistakes disqualify you from the promise. Uh, remember who your God is. And maybe like David, just say, you know what? He called me to king right now. He called me to mom right now. He called me to be this employee right now. He called me to be the teacher that these kids need right now. Uh, school's going to be starting. Teachers are going to have 23 kids in front of you. God put those kids there. That's who you were called to serve. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop looking in the mirror and looking at all of your your shortcomings and just know you're God the one whom you follow is the one who matters let me pray and then we will uh, watch the cue together father uh, we come to you um, at the end of uh, at the end of David's life we thank you for the the good and the bad we thank you um, that in all of it we see your promises come to fruition uh, Lord may we uh, may we lean on your promises may we trust your word amen um, and like David told Solomon, may we take seriously our responsibility to follow you and to follow your ways. Um, but like like your children, um, Lord, uh, discipline us when when we fall away. Uh, bring us back to you, and uh, may at the end of our life, uh, may the legacy we leave uh, matter. Um, may we may we uh, leave a legacy that others can worship your name uh, again and again. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.